This is Wake Up Mid-Missouri with Brandon Rathert. So heated, the town's Board of Education is now deciding to remove the name of all holidays on the school calendar. You should be afraid of them rooting for socialism by the time they get to middle school. Teachers, it may seem that our careers have come to a dead end, but I'm here to remind you we don't work for the school board. We work to mold the next generation of well-rounded American patriots. So don't give up because it is up to us. And I think it's one of the good things we can say that came out of the government pandemic pandemic that started in 2020 as people started seeing what was happening in some of the schools nationwide and even locally. We have one school district, school board president this week on Facebook calling people a-holes. We've got another school board member who in a meeting says, oh, I can't handle all this stuff. Big progress being made in Jefferson City is it's going to relate to your kids and your grandkids. And even if you don't have kids or grandkids in schools, uh, look at your tax bill that you paid a couple of months ago and look at the amount of money that goes to school. State Senator Bill Eigel, uh is joining us here this morning on Wake Up Mid-Missouri to talk about that. But I want to start with this first. Stephanie and I, over the weekend, statewide Lincoln Days, and I see Senator Bill Eigel and I go up and I say, hey, uh, Senator, how's it going? And we had a, a, a pretty healthy um, conversation and, and I rather enjoyed it. Uh, but one of the things, Senator, that we were talking about, because obviously one of the big stories is it relates to redistricting last year, relationships <laughs> in the Senate and how crazy things got. And our conversation kind of centered around, at least publicly, at least that we see in the news, things look good this year in our Missouri Senate, which ultimately I think is good for the people of Missouri. What is it that you that we're doing differently this year? Well, I did, well, first of all, good morning. <laughs> I uh, it was uh, it was a real difficult year last year, and uh, the redistricting conversation uh, left a few scars. And of course, uh, we had a very difficult primary season. Uh, a lot of the results in the primaries were not what folks were expecting, and so there was the the focus as it relates to what we were going to do or how we were going to get along as we got into session was of high interest. But you know, we've been. I think folks, wherever they found themselves on uh, the discussion of what they think should have happened last year, you know, uh, have have identified that we want to try to get more conservative legislation done. You know, we had our leadership elections. That's over now. Uh, Caleb and I have been meeting uh, every week to talk about what's moving through the chamber, what we don't want to see move through the chamber, what we do want to see. And it's been productive. Uh, that doesn't mean that, uh, that Caleb and I agree on every issue. Certainly we do not. Uh, but so far, so good. Uh, now, I would say that we've got some issues uh, coming up that are, are going to be a little bit more difficult to navigate and are probably going to sh- uh, start to strain uh, some of the relationships we've begun to put together. But uh, it's always good to have uh, a good start, and I think that's where we're at right now. Well, I think it's cool that you guys are meeting every week. Uh, do you meet in his office, your office, or do you have like a coffee shop you all hang out? It might seem like a weird question, but I am genuinely curious. Uh, actually, both. Uh, in fact, this week, uh, Caleb was in my office, and I was in his office. Last week, we were in his office. So it's it's not so much the place. It's really just the fact that these meetings are happening. So that, that's a, that's I would say that's maybe a difference than what's happened in, in years past. So uh, if we're going to be off on the better foot, uh, we've got to be talking, and that's what we're doing. State Senator Bill Eigel and gubernatorial candidate for 2024 uh, joining us this morning here on Wake Up Mid-Missouri. Senator, uh, talk to us about the conservative caucus. You guys have been on with us and talked to the media about the conservative caucus is over and done with. 
can you just get along at the Senate or can the conservative caucus kind of rear its head again under a different name? Well, well, the conservative caucus is uh, was brought together to fight for issues that we felt strongly about that weren't getting enough attention and were clearly identified as priorities in the GOP platform. If we get away from that, you can be sure you're going to start hearing from the same folks again. And, and quite frankly, there were there were issues that came up over the past couple of years where we felt strongly that we deviated from the GOP platform. The gas tax discussion is one of those times where we felt uh, that was a clear de- delineation from what we told voters we were going to do when we got down to Jefferson City. Uh, the redistricting uh, question certainly laid bare some of the ideas that, you know, we felt like we should be sending as many Republicans to Washington, D.C. as possible. And we, we couldn't seem to build that consensus. So, you know, that was it was always about policy when it came to the conservative caucus. And uh, the the a benefit we have moving into this session is, especially as a result of those primaries that took place in August, we feel like uh, the Republican caucus is more in line with the GOP base and the GOP platform that we all said that we were going to support. So uh, the, the need for the kind of uh, political maneuvering uh, that we had over the past couple of years may not necessarily be present today as it was back then. But uh, rest assured that uh, we are watching very closely the bills that come through the legislature. And if we see something we don't like, we're going to be very vocal about it. Senator, we appreciate you uh, joining us live. Always a pleasure to talk to you. You chaired the Veterans Committee and have a lot of influence on veterans' issues. And I covered your uh, presentation at the Pachyderms in early December. And literally, people were lined up out the door, literally, to hear you speak. So I know a lot of people were interested in what you had to say. I want to go back to something you talked about to the Pachyderms, and that was Interstate 70 back in December. And you talked about four-laning I-70 at -hmm. that time, rebuilding it basically from Wentzville to Blue Springs. Governor came out about a month later to three-lane it, essentially the same area. Are you on board with the governor's plan, or are you going forward with your plan, which is uh, in a Senate bill? Well, so let's kind of talk about what each of those plans are. You're right. I had been talking about a plan that was going to set aside the funds for four lanes uh, in either direction. Uh, that was going to cost between uh, 4 to $6 billion, and we were trying to set, set put together funding streams for the next 10 years that we're going to take care of this without having to raise anybody's tax. We're just using the revenues that are already in the system. The governor came out and he wants to spend about $800 billion to partially build three lanes. And actually, it wouldn't be three lanes all the way across the state. Uh, It would just be three lanes uh, primarily towards Kansas City and St. Louis around the Columbia area and then remain two lanes uh, in between. I don't think that you know, that that describes me as doing the job halfway. So I don't think that the governor's plan goes nearly far enough. Uh, what we've been talking on and talking about in the Senate is a plan uh, kind of in, in between. It would it would fully rebuild I-70 to three lanes all the way in between Wentzville and Blue Springs. So I, I think that's probably the way you're, you're going to see it go. We're probably going to do a combination of um, existing funding with the surplus we have in accordance with my plan and then look for some future revenues that can supplement that with a total price tag for three lanes all the way across the state, probably being around $2.7, $2.8 billion. So it's going to be a big investment in infrastructure. But the good news is we're going to do it without having to raise anybody's taxes. Government's finally going to do a big idea and a big infrastructure project 
uh, with the dollars it already has at its disposal. That's huge. Uh, what you just said there is a big, big deal. That has not been reported anywhere else, what you just said there. State Senator Bill Igle and 2024 gubernatorial candidate joining us this morning on Wake Up Mid-Missouri, 93.9 The Eagle and 104.5 News Radio 950 KWOS. We spoke earlier to Mark McCloskey, who said he is a supporter of yours, and he was talking to us about the Second Amendment. I noticed uh, you've got a bill, I think, that's getting a hearing this week, the anti-red uh, flag gun seizure act can you talk more about that yeah actually uh <clears throat> that hearing was supposed to be today and it got canceled oh. today and pushed off till next week because today is the uh, super bowl parade for the Kansas city chiefs and there's going to be so few people <laughs> in, in, in jefferson city because they're going to be watching the parade we're going to do that hearing next week but yes the uh senate bill 10 and what Senate Bill 10 would be primarily two things. One, it's going to uh, prohibit red flag laws in the state of Missouri. Of course, these are the laws that can be used against law abiding citizens uh, to ensure that, one, they don't, aren't able to access firearms, but also uh, could be used to, to really go after law-abiding systems, uh, citizens in a government-run database. And the second thing it does is it's going to make sure that local jurisdictions that want to try to create their own red flag laws using federal money as an incentive to do so are prohibited from doing that as well. You know, we don't have that problem mainly in, in some of our outstate and rural areas, but I tell you what, that is absolutely a problem in, for example, downtown St. Louis and some of our urban cores where, uh, you know, the, the method of leadership in those areas is a little bit different than what we have statewide. So it's a protection. It's a Second Amendment protection. It's a good protection. And uh, we do hope that uh, that's going to move here. But it's it's delayed one week uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs. Only got, <laughs> I love it, man. Priorities this morning. I only got about two minutes here, and I do want to get to education, but I don't want to miss Philip's question. Philip in Jefferson City this morning, text 874-9390. Please ask uh, Senator Eigel about doing away with personal property taxes. Tell us about that. Yes. Uh, so everybody that's been listening to me at all for the past few years knows that I think that we should get rid of personal property tax in its entirety. And that's what we filed in Senate Bill 8, which would slowly phase out personal property tax all across the state. Now, uh, we've been unable to get a bill that's as comprehensive as getting rid of all personal property tax in every county of the state. We, we haven't been successful getting that out. We are talking through different uh, ways to at least mitigate the personal property tax burden. Last week, we voted, or actually two weeks ago, we voted out a we voted uh, a Senate Bill Eight out of committee uh, as a compromise that we think can actually make it to uh, through both chambers and reach the governor's desk. And what it does is it won't get rid of all personal property tax, but it will get rid of personal property tax on all vehicles over uh, ten years of age, and then for vehicles between that are new to ten years old. They're basically going to be put on a depreciation schedule, uh, just like businesses do for their vehicles. And then from the MSRP that you buy the vehicle at to basically uh, moving completely away from personal property tax at 10 years, it, it has the benefit of you're going to have a set amount that you would have to pay personal property tax on. Your bill would never go up uh, like we saw uh, happen to a lot of bills last year. And then you're done for any vehicle over 10 years of age. It's not as comprehensive as I wanted, but it still represents a pretty significant tax cut. So we're moving that through the chamber. And if we get that over the finish line, that would be the first ever cut 
and tax cut to personal property tax in the state of Missouri. So we're pretty excited. And that's conservative leadership in the state of Missouri. And that benefits you because eventually you get more money in your bank account. Want to make sure we explain why it matters in case you're a younger uh, person who's new to talk radio. If you're a regretful Biden voter. Uh, third, and we're going to have to get to education another time. But another question uh, from uh, from Tanner Kimna in Jefferson uh, City. Uh, he wants to ask about sports betting real quick. Yes, so sports betting is moving its way slowly. This has been an issue that has been around as long as I've been in the Senate, but we have not gotten anything over the finish line. Uh, every year I, I get the feeling that that's going to be the year uh, <laughs> that we would finally get sports betting legalized in Missouri. And, and, and I'll be honest, you know, um, sports betting has not been a priority, especially under the GOP platform, but it's been a, a pretty active discussion. So I'm seeing more uh, momentum uh, towards a bill like that than I've seen in past sessions. So this might be the year, but uh, to this point, it has not. Uh, it, it really hasn't seen a whole lot of movement yet. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on it over the next couple months. State Senator Bill Igel and 2024 gubernatorial candidate. Let's hang out again sometime, and uh, we appreciate your time on the show this morning. You bet. Thanks for having me. We'll talk soon. All right, coming up 7:25-ish. What's hot with Hannah? What do you have for us today, Hannah? There is an update on one of the escaped zoo animals that we've been following. This is Wake Up Mid-Missouri with Brandon Rathard. We've been following a string of escaped zoo animals from the Dallas Zoo. You're using we liberally. Well, okay. Party pooper Steph over there. Apparently zoo animals are on Steph's suck list. Santa Claus. Sandwiches. Puppies. Ranch dressing. But we're actually following an escaped owl from the New York City Zoo this time. His name is Flacco. <laughs> and he escaped at the beginning of the month. And they've been trying to capture him ever since. He's kind of stayed in the New York City area. Um, he's gotten quite the following. And apparently he's made Central Park, like, his home. And there's good news for Flacco. Because... He is starting to hunt rats, <laughs> which is great news, apparently, um, because that means he has survival instincts, because I guess a lot of his followers, his fan club, was worried about if he'd be able to hunt and fend for himself because he'd been in captivity, and apparently he can. He's been hunting rats, and they're really excited about that, <laughs> which is kind of funny, um, but they, they're finding lots of dead rats in Central Park and lots of... Uh, pellets owl pellets and they're very encouraged by this uh however in new york city they do take their rat problem pretty seriously and they're concerned about any poisons that the rats might have ingested in the city and you know flacco potentially getting a hold of those so that's a concern they're still trying to catch flacco hoping his a uh, freedom reign won't last too much longer but there, it's like, go Flacco. He's getting a big round of applause for being able to catch his own rats. There was another story on the theme of animals, but there was a, a, a dog. His name was Hades. And apparently the dog got loose. This is in Las Vegas. Dog got loose and hooked up with a band of wild coyotes in the desert. <laughs> I'm serious. Uh, ended up with a, a pack of coyotes in the Nevada desert. Was gone. Some woman finds the dog. 
Well, it, it, make, it becomes a news story, and the original family said, hey, we want our dog back. And the woman said, no, I found the dog. But apparently the dog uh, took off to the desert, and his band of wild coyotes took him in for a while, and they all uh, hung out and stuff, and the dog was good. And lived happily ever after. Isn't that like a Disney movie? Are we talking about the Jungle Book or something? <laughs> well, I was thinking, I was thinking, who else disappeared into the desert? And it was a while before they... Uh, came back, but he's a four-year-old bull terrier mix. Back with his family in Las Vegas, according to the Animal Foundation. It's a nonprofit shelter. They'd been caring for the pup since a dispute over. Even the cops got involved because there was a big custody battle over this dog. People are serious about their animals. I feel like there's not enough concern about the all the zoo animals that are being let out of their enclosures. You know, it started with the Dallas Zoo and now New York City. There's been multiple instances at both zoos. This is Wake Up Mid-Missouri with Brandon Rathert. Also about the justice system being accountable for its own mistakes. Remarkable turn of events in Missouri yesterday. Uh, that is a special prosecutor. His name is Jonathan Potts. He spent a year investigating the case of Lamar Johnson. He sat in prison for almost 30 years, had maintained from the get-go, I didn't kill this dude. It was, apparently was over a drug deal in St. Louis back in the 90s. Somebody gets shot and killed, and he gets tagged. And apparently one of the factors in the case, you had some rogue cops telling people, apparently even paying somebody four grand to say, listen, why don't you testify that you saw Lamar Johnson there? He was freed uh, yesterday. That audio from KSDK and Marsha, think about our friend Kevin Green, what that's like for 30 years. God, you can't imagine, can you? I, I just, I, I the, the, you know, they talk about the human will. To be able to survive for that long, knowing, and everybody around you probably going, sure, Lamar, you ain't did it. I know. We're all innocent here. But knowing that you really are innocent. Uh, wow. Welcome to the show. This is Wake Up Mid-Missouri. I am Brandon Rather. There's Stephanie Bell. Good morning. Producer Hannah is here. Hello. Mr. Houseworth is here. That is John Marsh. Yes, sir. 874-9390-874-9390. So today in Washington, D.C., one of the things we do every morning here on the show is something called the Daily D.C. Rundown. Uh, Stephanie runs down some of the bigger things that are happening in D.C. She explains to us, like, why why we should be concerned about that stuff, why it matters. And there is something interesting that's happening today. Yeah, the uh, FAA is going to appear before a Senate committee, I think the uh, Commerce Committee, uh, about recent FAA uh, issues. Um, one, issues. You know, yeah. they said we hadn't downed all of our flights since 9-11. It happened, I think, earlier this month. Um, the NOTAM system had a major flaw. Um, I think it was human error. But anyway, the, the, the computer system, the system that warned you about weather and birds and other issues, um, had a problem. And it was so severe that all of our flights were down for a couple of hours one morning, um, which then you know, dominoed into an entire day of issues on top of other issues that were airline specific that over the last six months. Um, and so uh, the director of the FAA, who I think is actually an interim director, will be answering some questions today. And then also there's been two significant near misses, uh, you know, where big, well, I think one involved a, a FedEx plane, but the others I think were all passenger planes. One, it was a Southwest aircraft, um, both at JFK and then one in Texas where there were two near misses. And like, isn't that the, the number one priority? Like, don't run it, like know where the other planes are, like don't land on top of another plane. And I mean, when we're talking near misses, we're talking like feet. Like, I mean, really, really could have been catastrophic. And when you're talking about, this is not a car, uh, you're not on Missouri Boulevard trying to turn, you know, left or something, worry about it. You're talking about uh, jets 
doing this. And then we learned that apparently uh, a flight out of Hawaii recently, apparently a plane takes off from Hawaii and then nosedives uh, about 800 feet. This happened about 10 seconds shortly after this plane took off from Maui International Airport. It was bound for San Francisco. This happened just before Christmas. Uh, came within about 800 feet of crashing into the ocean. And they're not sure why. One airline industry expert says, well, maybe the autopilot wasn't working or, or something like that. And that, whether you're talking cars or airplanes, you know, technology fails. Remember so, all the people who were hurt? What was it back in December when that Hawaii airliner hit real bad turbulence? Mm-hmm. People weren't belted in. All sorts of people got hurt, badly hurt. Well, and I was wondering, so it, well, they talked to somebody who was, oh, and by the, so here's their, they're going to retrain pilots the pilots that were on that flight. But they talked to a guy. His name is Rob Williams. And him and his wife, kids, on the plane, vacationing. Hawaii, just before Christmas time. And said there were a number of screams on the plane. Everybody knew that something was out of the ordinary, or at least that this was not normal. Uh, He says it was certainly out of the uh, ordinary. He says we could do nothing but pray for a miracle. And I wonder as a dude, like, how I would respond. Because I'm not a big fan of flying anyway. I know you fly all the time. I don't like flying. I don't like being in a little narrow tube. I'm claustrophobic. I don't like hanging out that close to people that I don't even know. Just don't like anything about it. And then there's always that fear. What happens? What if, like, what happened to that plane in Hawaii happens flying from Columbia to Dallas? Yeah, I will. I, I knock on wood have not had any serious plane malfunctions. I know people who said that they, they've been on when the masks mm. come down, and I I would be a total wreck. Um, I, you know, there was a plane out of Columbia that got diverted somewhere into Illinois within maybe the last two years, and I think a lot of those people were like, "Yeah, I'm not going to get back on a plane. I'll just take my car and go home." Um, you know, it's terrifying. But I will say, you know, John was saying that plane about turbulence that was in my mind on my last trip, and I will say I kept my belt buckled more there than I go. typically do because I was thinking, "Yeah, I don't want to be that person that slams my head on the ceiling or whatever and is all bloody." Because I rem- the pictures were horrifying out of that flight. I don't think. If I were on a plane like that and it got like a plane is plunging 800 feet in a matter of uh, in a matter of seconds, I don't think I would handle myself very well. I think afterwards I would look back at how I reacted and go, oh, man, you would be on the viral video. I'm hoping need that- some clean britches. <laughs> yeah. You know, those um, those weird uh, slingshot rides that they do at like, you know, where they slingshot you with your friend and into the air on, what are those called? Like a reverse bungee like jump. A, yeah, bungee Correct. Thing. And they video those people and there's always like the one person who just passes out cold. I hope that would be me. I hope that the the <laughs> the, the thrust would be, you know, enough where I would just, yeah, I would just take a minute and just black out. What's the line with comedian uh, Ron White? He said he was on an airplane and one of the engines went out and the guy next to him leaned over and said, how far do you think we can make it on one engine? And Ron said, about to the scene of the crash. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I did. I had a really, really bumpy flight, and I was flying by myself um, out of uh, Las Vegas one time. And, you know, we were talking yesterday about folks who use humor to d- diffuse the situation. And it was just, you know, kind of bump, bump, bump. And all of a sudden, we hit this big kapow. And the guy next to me goes, hole <laughs> and i mean everyone and he could i mean he could sit because i'm grabbing onto the seats and i just you know everything i was like okay we're, we're gonna make it you know but like it, it it was tense there for a few moments i think and that's and that's what that's one of my defense mechanisms sometimes is humor i think if i were in a situation like that right after i got done going 
<laughs> I think after that I would turn. I Deleted would, expletives. Yeah. I think I would turn to the passenger next to me and go, hey, you got any toilet paper? <laughs> that might be one way of handling If you've ever been in that situation, it might be interesting to hear your story at 874-9390. Glad you could be here. Great piece in the Jefferson City News Tribune. One of my favorite. I, I love the uh, Jefferson City News Tribune. Uh, one of the things I really like about them is when they do, like, the letters to the editor. I love I love reading those. We'll share some of those uh, on air from time to time. There was uh, somebody who wrote, and it was an article, I think it was last week, but Habri, we uh, reached a tipping point. And I love this. It was written by Bradley Gitz, but I love it because it says what I was thinking. Because tipping is, is get you know, you, you tip at the counter. And I know it's conversation we've had before, but one of the things I didn't, no, and I guess it's born out of the past couple of years, but apparently 15% is not the standard anymore when it comes to, like, at a restaurant or something. Yeah, it's 20. Who who came up with that rule? Servers. Good point. <laughs> I feel like it's been 20% for a while. Well, I've always known it as 20. You're no. super young. Mm-hmm. It depends on what the service yeah. is and where you are at. Um, and I think the most important factor is to realize how folks are paid. If that makes sense. Well, and that's the thing, because now people are looking at, huh? And there have been some restaurants. There was a chain restaurant, Joe's Crab Shack. I know it was one example that comes to mind. But a couple of years ago, they said, you know what? No more tips. We're just going to pay our employees. We're going to just pay them. And it did not work on either. And customers didn't like it. Employees didn't like it. Yeah. And then I was in Nashville recently, and they said they put a thing on there for, like, tips for the kitchen. And so then I'm like, do I, so then I'm like, do I do my 20 and I split it between the server and the kitchen or do I do 20 for the server and now I'm on the hook for like 10 more for the kitchen? I didn't, I I still don't know what the right answer there is. I I mean, I think it's good, but I don't know. I remember back in the day of doing the doing the bar scene and all, and they came up with the idea of shared tip jars between the servers and, and the beer tenders and that didn't go over well. No, because you got somebody who's who's hustling and busting their tail and getting tips, and then you got the person who's out back smoking a cigarette, uh, and they're they're getting just as much tips as the person that worked uh, that worked hard. And I'm I get surprised at like some of the industries that were supposed to be tipping anymore that people think it's common. Yeah, wedding vendors uh, is one. Yes, takeout. Yeah, takeout. takeout. Yes. But with wedding vendors, they're so expensive. <laughs> And I'm in a lot of, you know, wedding-related Facebook groups, and one of the main questions in there is, do you really have to tip, you know, your DJ or your photographer or your bartender? Do you really have to tip them cash when you've paid them, in some cases, thousands of dollars? Yes, you do, because they earned that money. Because if they weren't working your wedding, they'd be working a corporate event, and those people would be tipping. Then can't you say the same thing about the person? If I if I walk into a restaurant and they brought my bag of food from the kitchen to the bar, they've provided a service to me. Am I supposed to tip them too? I tip them because if it's not, if it's, if it's not like a carry out place. So like if Chipotle is made for you to carry out, if I go to someplace in downtown, like the Grand, that is a dine-in restaurant. If they take the time to box up my food, put my dressing in a separate thing, put it in a bag so I can carry out, that I'm putting something extra on them. So yes, if I carry out at a place that that's not their thing, then yeah, I, I show my appreciation for them taking the extra moment to make sure I can get that food to where it needs to go. Let me ask you this, and John has some thoughts. I'm going to get John's thoughts at 874-9390 coming up in just a few minutes. Do you do it because yes 
or because you feel guilted. Both. <laughs> Coming up, all right, John's take. This is Wake Up Mid-Missouri with Brandon Rathert. Um, we serve with, under contract with the University of Missouri and build custom labs for them. And we serve, you know, school districts all over the land. So just kind of out of left field, that is uh, the owner of Pepco. We talk about small local businesses, whether it's restaurants or whatever. Um, but this is uh, this is a guy, the owner is David Patton there, and he was chatting with KOMU Channel 8. And is what they do, they have three full-time employees and three part-time employees right here in mid-Missouri. And they make these um, art and science classroom desks and furniture and their stuff from right here in mid-Missouri goes out everywhere. Good morning and welcome to the show. We need to do a mailbag this morning. We're getting a whole bunch of texts. We love it. Thank you at 874-9390. We were talking about near misses and almost plane crashes. We have people texting about that. Brittany, who works at Sam's Club, uh, thanks us for playing Jump Around from House of Pain. And text regarding tipping. There was a piece in the News Tribune recently. Have we reached a tipping point? I think one of the good questions, and I was asking Stephanie, there's some things. And I tip, for example, on the uh, rare occasion that I pick up food from a restaurant, let's say that's a place where it's not a takeout place. I'm like, all right, you brought it from the kitchen to me. I'll give you a dollar. Part of that, too, is I used to be in the service industry as, as a kid, so I believe in, in tipping well. But we asked, is, is that worth it, and do you feel guilted into it? Yes, and yes, because when I'm standing there in that receipt and I'm looking at the person who brought my food from the kitchen to the bar where I'm picking it up, do you want to? Yes, I'll leave you a tip. Do I think it's worth it? No, but I feel guilted into it and if you know the people like you don't want them to be talking about like oh that stephanie bell lady she's a terrible tipper and i think a lot of us changed our tipping practices during COVID, right and you know i tipped extra because i knew a lot of our local hospitality businesses were and and i have yet really i don't think i've pulled back on that because it just i don't know i got in the habit of it tipping when i normally wouldn't and then i feel cheap taking that away uh, whenever Marsh and I go and hang out and have lunch, I'm always Which is stick, every him with, day. I stick him with a tip. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do the tip and I'm like, is this enough? And then do I want to, like, look at me. I'm uh, Brandon's a baller. Look at this big old tip. I'm he did. Up. Hey, the, all, you know, total disclosure. Last time we went out to lunch, he told the server, said, hey, I don't need anything back from it. And she was very, very happy and said thanks. So that that was nice. Brandon gave the lady a nice tip. Eight seven four ninety three ninety. John, welcome into Wake Up Mid Missouri. What's up, bud? So there are times when I feel guilted too, mm-hmm. just like Stephanie. But the, my big question is: if you go to a mom and pop place like a cafe in a small town or a big town or whatever, mm. and they have no staff, it's the husband cooking and the wife is wait, waiting on people, and she, you know, she's not busy, but but. You know, your drink runs out or whatever. Uh, do you tip people that own the business because they're making all the money anyway? That's my question because sometimes I don't know whether that's that's good or bad or if the service is good. Do you tip people who own their own business? I was and in, do all the service. They have no employees. You know what? I think I would tip better for a couple of reasons. I'm one small, local, mom-and-pop business, and I think I would probably, I would tip better in that situation. How do you do it? Well, I usually do 20%, but Uh I'm just saying, I've had people tell me that you don't tip people that own the business. Mm. I've had a lot of people tell me that, and I'm like, where did you hear or find that at? Because 
you know, obviously, when you go someplace, you establish a relationship, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. if you don't tip, is that, oh, here comes what's his name, and he don't tip. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be that guy, you know? No. One but, of the- but is it required? Yeah, I mean, one of the better meals I remember having, and I think it's closed now, but uh, Whitestone Lodge down in Rich Fountain, Missouri, and it was done, done, and I think it was mainly the husband and the wife and the daughter. Um, great meal. I always tipped, and, you know, again, I mean, a lot of those places, that's all there is, right? It's a mom-and-pop place, and it's the family that runs it. I think they deserve a tip. John, we appreciate you being a part of Wake Up Mid-Missouri this morning, 874-9390. Aaron Tech, she realizes the camera is on, right? Yep. yep. <laughs> And when he refers, and this this is the beauty. You, you know, you can watch this show, and I know you're probably in your car and you're rushing to work. Why on earth would I watch a radio show? I get that. I understand that. But here's how people are using our video feed on our YouTube channel, which is Wake Up Mid-Missouri. Like, let's say, we're, again, we're talking about a small local business. Two places recently. There was a, a, an auto mechanic in Jefferson City and a dry cleaner in another town. Uh, you know, a little counter, and they have the TV up there. And so they put up the YouTube on the TV, and they watch, and they get local news. People running around getting ready for work in the morning. They're putting the YouTube up on the TV in the house. Everybody get local news and what's happening and stuff. But the beauty is whatever is happening here in the studio, <laughs> you see. Yeah, Which, this morning it's makeup tutorials. It is makeup tutorials. And I just